0: Hardy's two for $5 breakfast, bake goodness into your morning. Choose a biscuit with sausage and egg, biscuit and gravy, or French toast tips. Any two, just $5. Hardy's goodness in the making. These items only, price and participation may vary. Tax not included. Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go! The new Fun Sarah. Woohoo! Often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No
1: purchase necessary. We we're by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. Welcome my next guest back to the podcast. He spent 17 years as a PBR elite rodeo clown, sustaining only one blown out rectal injury. He's a world-renowned midget porn director with a slew of awards to his credit. And most importantly, he wrote the book on how to be a dominant power bottom. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Clint Emerson. (laughs)
3: Midgets, rodeos, yeah, you've covered all the things I've uh, I've been known for. All of your favorite pastimes. Good times.
2: Welcome back to the, uh, to the <clears throat> mic drop podcast. This is your third, third appearance, which, uh, is the most of anybody. So you've got the, uh, really? yeah, I've, I've wow. not had
3: anybody else on three times. Well, it's probably cause we live so close. Yeah. It just it's makes a, it easy to fill in the gap since no one else wants to come on today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's right. We're, uh, we're also here to talk about Clint's <clears throat> new book, the rugged life. Yeah. Right. Can you see that shit? The Look at that movie. shit. Uh, so you got, you sent me this advanced copy. I was flipping through it over the weekend and, uh, I got to tell you, I mean, all your books have, have been good, but this one, uh, there's a ton of cool shit in there. And my, I guess, my first question in looking through it is, like, I know you don't know all of this shit, mm-hmm. or, or no, do that's you? That's true. I mean, like, where do you, where did you get uh, both the idea to do it, as well as um, kind of the the premise behind where to find the information and and kind of what to include? I mean, in thinking of trying to come up with an idea for this book, even having the idea of of trying to say, okay, this this these are the categories or these are the things that I think need to be in there and, and, uh, and where to find it.
3: Yeah, it was, uh, no, you're right. I did. I do not know all those <laughs> skills. <clears throat> I do not live by every skill in there. Um, but the answer to the why was uh, toilet paper. I mean, we, we went into the pandemic and toilet paper was what was missing. And that was the realization that this country has no idea how to really sustain themselves from day to day Uh, because once there was a crisis, then people, it was just unexpected and surprising that people would pick toilet paper as the thing that they would stock up on, you know? And so I felt like we needed to kind of go backwards in time a little bit, go a little more analog and uh, look at skills that really can sustain you when, there's a crisis. You know, my book's up till now, if you look at it, is Hunter Deli's skill series is all about surviving seconds, minutes, hours, days, right? Yeah. But The Rugged Life is mm-hmm. truly a lifestyle. It's something that every American man, woman, and child knew, you know, like 200 years ago, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what they did is everything in this book. And <clears throat> what I've done is I've combined modern technology with your more analog skill sets to create what can be just an experience project to project inside of a family's home, or you could take the book and literally turn it into an entire lifestyle where you're doing it eight hours a day, because that's that's really what 200, if you go backwards in time, people you know, making their own food, and I'm talking growing the vegetables and growing the meat and harvesting it, um in building their own stuff you know is is what everyone knew how to do and as time has gone by and convenience has become the new it uh and that's coincides with technology <clears throat> people have lost their way and they don't know how to do shit anymore so anyway it was truly the pandemic i felt like there needed to be a cure uh other than you know immunizations and all of the more controversial stuff the cure is self-reliance. The more self-reliant you become, the less the crazy outside world can affect you. Yeah,
2: You know, music is a big, uh, big inspiration and a big part of my life. I listen to it all the time, whether I'm driving, riding a motorcycle, working out, walking, uh, what have you. And one of the things that, uh, you know, frustrates me regularly is getting a good pair of, you know, headphones that, that have a high quality sound that are easy to use. Um, you know, but that don't cost a fortune. Um, i've recently partnered with uh with raycon and uh i really really like these these wireless headphones they're bluetooth Uh, they're everyday earbuds they look feel and sound better than ever Uh, and they're half the price or even less than a lot of uh, other brands that uh, that are popular out there so um i've been using them now for a couple of weeks the battery life is really good at uh has 32 hours of standby time and, and eight hours of playtime, which I have tested. Um, you know, I've used them all day long, basically, and, and not had to re- recharge them. They come in a rechargeable case. They don't take long to charge to begin with, uh, and they, they sound great. They're super comfortable, uh, and they're just really good. And uh, I want to extend this uh, call to action for you guys. Mic drop listeners can get 15% off of the Raycon order uh, at slash mic drop. That's buyraycon.com slash mic drop, and you save 15% on an already uh, very reasonably priced uh, set of wireless earphones. That's buyraycon.com slash mic drop. No, I, I couldn't agree more, and it's, uh, it, it is kind of frightening how disconnected and removed you know, our society is from that way of life now. Very, very few people uh, you know, could, could live that way if they had to. Right. You know, I mean, if you think about like a worst case scenario of, you know, China, Russia, you know, whatever, a combination of, mm-hmm. of external factors, you know, maybe, you know, blowing the fucking power grid and, and fucking up the water supply and, and all of the supply chain for food and trucking and, and all of that coupled with, uh, you know, let's say the, the dollar is worth zero, you know, tomorrow, like you wake up tomorrow, there's no power, there's no water, the food supply is completely fucked and your money is worth nothing. Yeah. 95 percent of the population would fucking die in in a month you know i mean like it it would be catastrophic you know and uh and so it, it is neat to see you know everything that you've put into this um being you know one pretty basic but but two you know still necessary skills that most people you know have no real concept on how to do was there a like a checklist in terms of you brainstorming of saying okay different categories of, you know, food oh, yeah. hunt, you know, like how, how did that kind of come
3: in? Into- yeah. Breaking down the chapters, um, wasn't easy because if you really look at all of these chapters, each one is a book Are books, yeah. there are books and books and books. And the more that I researched how many books are really out there, uh, then it became even, it became overwhelming. And then and that's when I noticed that there wasn't one book that consolidated the basics into a nice, easy format. And I feel like that's been my job since I've gotten out of Navy is how do you deliver, you know, information and skills in a digestible way without all the bullshit rhetoric? Yeah. So if you look at like a book on, you know, farming, for example, most of it is boring, it doesn't apply, and you're never really going to read it, yeah. you know? So. My job is how do I go and take information, simplify it, illustrate it, and deliver it uh, to the reader so that they can feel like, oh yeah, I can get up right now off my couch and do this. Yeah. And so, with a hundred Deli skills, obviously those are fighting and shooting and all kinds of fun stuff. But you know, this actually, the rugged life skills actually be the are the more important aspect that everyone should know. You know, defending yourself and going on the offense when necessary is great, but these skills. I mean, if you just incorporate a couple into your life, it creates that air gap between you and whatever could affect that one thing you decide to take on breaking down the chapters. I really had to go holistic because there was, there's no other book out there right now that delivers, you know, be your own, be your own butcher, be your own farmer, be your own hunter, be your own builder, be your own first responder, be your own communicator, um, I felt like I took the general aspects of life and broke them into chapters and then put the skill sets there that are very analog in nature, but are supported by the digital world. Because I'm not saying go out and... Do the little house on the prairie thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Wear bonnets and not talk and isolate yourself. And, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Well, I mean, both of us. Yeah. <laughs> I can already visualize that. Yeah.
2: We'll, we'll do that again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> just bonnets and boots. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, boots and bonnets. That sounds like a good uh, nonprofit coming mm, up. Something, something. Yeah, I'm with you. But anyway, <laughs> it, yeah, it's it was really just give them the skills. Give give the reader some skills that they can decide. Do you want to just dip your dip your toe in? Or do you want to just go head first with this lifestyle? I mean, it's yeah. totally up to you. And it's also built in a manner that whether you live in downtown Manhattan or the suburbs of Dallas or in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, there are skills in this book that people could start doing right now. Yeah, for sure.
2: To me, what I love about not only you know could you do it right now is some of the practical stuff like um, in, in the the staying warm of uh, or be your own builder it, it, you know, talks not just about how to harvest firewood, but something as simple as three cords of wood and, and it shows the visual visual representation of, of what a cord looks like, not just describing yeah. it, but, hey, this is what a fucking cord of wood looks like, but also one season of heat for a 1,000-square-foot house is three cords of wood. To me, it, it, it's shit like that that connects skills and, and reality. Yeah. You know, is, is it like... For somebody that that needs a book like this that has no fucking concept of how to do any of this, they're also going to have zero concept of how much wood that they would need. And and I think you know, in some of the other survival type you know books or publications out there, even websites and YouTube channels, like that piece is is severely lacking. Yeah, you know, like to me that that's the the big the big bridge between the skill and and how to actually apply it and, and what have you. So I think that's really cool. And the other thing. Like the illustrations, just like in all, I mean, all of your books are, I think, you know, kind of well known for, for their illustrations and how good they are. And this is no exception. I think that's such a key piece. I mean, if you look at all the way back to, say, uh, you know, Egypt and, and hieroglyphics, I mean, that's how they communicated. And, and even to present day, like most people use fucking emojis more than they <laughs> than they do anything else. Like human beings are visual and, and you know, good, clear-cut, concise, uh, descriptive Illustrations are are key, you know, to to really understanding and learning stuff. Um, I did notice there's a number of Thoreau and, and Emerson quotes in here. Were those two guys? I'm assuming, especially a book like Self Reliance, was that a big, yeah. big driver for uh, kind of the the principles behind this?
3: Yeah, I mean, if you really look at those guys, they were ahead of their time just in their statements alone, as it related to self reliance. I mean, yeah. before there was before there was technology, they were already saying, "Hey, what are the the satisfaction of advancements? You know, what is that really going to satisfy if yeah. you're not doing it with your own hands?" Yeah, I mean, you. I'm paraphrasing and summarizing a lot of their quotes, but. I mean, who? I mean, it's like it's unheard of. I mean, like they they were already kind of predicting the future, um, and not even knowing what the hell was in store. To me, that that's the most almost eerie thing
2: about a lot of their quotes and and insights is back when they did it. If you think about now, granted, you know the things that were coming out then were very technologically advanced for that time. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just that the it's almost like they understood the trajectory of where that was going to go. And how problematic it was going to become, you know, and and it it is really fascinating if if you haven't, uh, you know, for the listener or viewer, if you haven't, um,
4: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast with firsthand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal, real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon.
2: You know, kind of dug into some of Thoreau and Emerson's um, writings. You you really should. They're, they're, one, I I will say they make me feel fucking stupid reading them. Yeah. Like it it takes me. 20 minutes to read yeah. a page and I've got to read it like four fucking times really slow, like following with my finger to understand what the fuck they were saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's interesting. Like if you look at, I don't know if you've ever looked at like school uh, textbooks and shit from like 100 years ago. dude. Like we have taken so many steps back. Like we are fucking retarded by comparison. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it, like shit that kids were learning in fifth grade and how they wrote and, and everything back then, it just it makes you feel – fucking dumb
3: yeah it's an advanced form of english back then for yeah. sure and we've kind of like you said dumbed it down almost to the point where you know the the three eggplant emojis you sent me this morning i mean that's that's where we that's where we've yeah. come yeah i mean i'm guilty of it <laughs> i know you know what i'm talking about when i said <laughs> yeah, exactly show. i mean pictures pictures yeah. in uh, like you pointed out at the beginning pictures pictures right yeah. it's uh it's it's the crayon eaters out there that i yeah. want to Appeal i want them to. embracing my books you know yeah
2: uh, I, I did want to go over each uh, each chapter, and if you could just kind of synopsize the the
3: principle behind each
2: one. Sure. Uh, so the first chapter is Be Your Own Builder.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was my dad's little gopher, and I wouldn't know how to do half the stuff that I do today if it wasn't for going to get the hammer, going no. to get the nails. Not those nails. The metric crescent wrench. Yes. <laughs> the metric versus statute. I mean, it's like so many little things and differentiators just grabbing tools that I learned, Um, but you know, being your own builder doesn't mean you got to go build your own house, but it's more like just understanding framing, you know, or, you know, mixing concrete. You know, these are things that most of us just hire to have done because we're, we have that luxury. Uh, but the reality is, is knowing how to do it is, is kind of key to understanding what's going to happen when you hire people to do it. You know, you really understand, is this worth it or not <laughs> when you're yeah. getting overcharged yeah. for something that, you know, you know that if you just went and bought the supplies and dedicated a day, you would you would do a better job and you'll have the satisfaction and gratification of doing it yourself. But being a builder is getting your hands in it again um, because right now our hands are just, you know, on our devices. Yeah. They're not doing that manual labor anymore. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, for sure that's the
2: case. I think there's a a second component to that, that, that is true for a lot of people. And I will say even, even myself included, uh, early on in my home ownership days, uh, my dad and I did not have that, uh, that, that type of relationship. I mean, it was, you know, couldn't have asked for a better dad, but when it came to, you know, hunting, shooting, shooting, building, repairing, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, we didn't do a lot of that stuff together. You know, uh, he he did, you know, that stuff, but it wasn't like, hey, go do this, go do that. I also had two older brothers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that probably played a, a role in it, too, is that, you know, I, I was the sports kid. And so he and I, you know, did every fucking sport together. And, and that was kind of our, our thing and, and what have you, but and dogs, but. But anyway, I was going to say, you know, what made me think of this is that I I experienced some of that, too, is that I think with a lot of people nowadays are so clueless. And again, I I would even have thrown myself into that category 20 years ago, um, is that you end up doing a lot of unforced errors or or self-inflicted wounds on your own fucking house because you don't know any better. Right. You know, like stupid shit like. Whether it's with your water heater or fucking you know something up in your house because you just didn't know not to do it, mm-hmm. I mean that that's a big part of of the problems that, that people end up giving themselves uh, you know as homeowners nowadays not having any idea like well I thought you could you could flush Nerf footballs down the toilet <laughs> yeah. you can't do that you know it's like yeah kids grow up thinking that like the disposal and the toilet just go to this magic fucking place with a ten foot pipe going to it that you can just put whatever the fuck you want, to, right.
3: you know, and like just little dumb shit like that. It's important to, to have an understanding, but, uh, yeah, you no, nailed it. Knowing how something works inevitably, you know, will, will force you into knowing the do's and the don'ts and yeah. how to fix it. Yeah. At least how to, how to not fuck it up you right. know, at a minimum. Yeah. Uh, number two, be your own power grid. Yeah. So being your own power grid, really, I think, you know, here in Texas, um, we all lived it there for how many other days is, or what was it a week, you know, the, the, Texas grid went down and you had people freezing to death. And, yeah. uh, so having a plan, um, on how you're going to supply, you know, at least minimum power to your home is always a good idea. Even if you live in the most advanced portions of the United States, because you could live in suburbia or downtown environments and still the power go out because a natural disaster or, you know, freak accidents or whatever. And if you don't have that plan in place, then you know you're gonna get what you get, yeah. and that's gonna be nothing until you uh, somebody turns the power back on. So, having a good idea of of solar, um, you know, uh, geothermal. You know, geothermal isn't talked about all that much or even sold because if you do it yourself, it's free. There's no money to be made in it if mm-hmm. if it's really that easy and that free. And that's the most fascinating part about being your own power grid is that no matter where you live or stand, anywhere on the globe, six to eight feet down is a nice, cool 55 degrees all year round. Except in Iceland. <laughs> well you got to get yeah. past the yeah. frost point yeah. then down yeah. well, in no, yes I, well no, I, in
2: fucking iceland uh i, I want to say all homes or most homes heating and cooking are run off off of the volcanic fucking geothermal heat coming out there of the you ground like, pe- like people actually cook <clears throat> in the ground like i mean to me it's fucking it's amazing but like they can dig up a, a few inches and bury fucking eggs and cook them or like roast
3: and shit yeah you know, like almost like in a bed of coals type of heat but I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I've seen where they did bread. Um, there's a special kind of bread made there. in And uh, in, in if you dig a certain, w- water will come up, and the water will sometimes even be boiling yeah. in certain places. Yeah, yeah. fucking wild. Yeah, but it's cool.
2: You know, you mentioned one thing that uh, even, even in being more technologically advanced, I think that's a it's counterproductive i think the more kind of technologically advanced and more urban environments the the more complacent people are oh yeah as well as when shit does go wrong the, the more scarce resources are you know because there's so many fucking people packed
3: into an area and it's like it, it's a it's a double whammy that way but uh and they're real quick you know to to blame the power company and blame everyone else but the reality is is right now while you have power you should be thinking about how yeah. what's your what's your backup plan is yeah. it you know, a five thousand dollar generator goes a long way in a time of crisis. Fuck yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, my truck has a has a seventy three hundred watt generator built into it. I, I've used the shit out of it. Yeah, it's super super handy. Uh, number three, be your own farmer. Does
3: that does that include weed? It certainly certainly should these days. There's uh but yeah, you can you can learn how to grow weed with that chapter, no <laughs> doubt about it. Um, because it's just given the basics. I mean, look at, you know, majority of this country where you grew up. I mean, farming is is a cornerstone, foundation, staple item of America, and most people don't even understand. How that? I mean, unless you go back to elementary school when you took those little itty bitty seeds and you put them in a wet paper towel and wait for them to sprout and go through the process, that's that's your first and only time you're exposed to farming. Yeah. Um, now, once again, I'm not saying you got to go out and you know buy a couple of acres and 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 plant corn, but what I am saying is that it's very easy to once again self reliance being the goal to supplement some of the things you have going on right now. If you live in in an apartment in the middle of downtown, you can have a windowsill garden, just nothing but herbs, and it's a great way to start where you're kind of pulling your own basil for your meals every night, and it's a uh, satisfying, and once again, um, a small little step to self-reliance. Yeah. So on
2: the the farming aspect of it too, I think it's pretty relevant right now. You're seeing... Food prices skyrocketing, and, and a lot of this is is foreign policy fumbles. I think, but yeah, you, you know, Ukraine and Russia with the shit that's going on there, you know, they're calling it the breadbasket. You know, whatever this this percentage of wheat and fucking sunflower oil and what have you comes from there. And I, I can't help but think, why the fuck does it matter what they produce or don't produce? Like, have you not seen the Midwest? You, you know, right. like, I know you guys fly over it every campaign year, and you go to Iowa for the oh, yeah. for the first fucking uh, you know, caucuses, but you know, I mean like we, we shouldn't have any fucking worry when another country stops producing something, you know, there's no shortage of resources here to do it. And I think in really looking at all of these chapters is that if everybody has a higher level level of self-reliance, the collective country from a national security standpoint has a, a much lower level of
3: dependence on any other country that way. No doubt about it. You know, um, yeah. And I dig into a little bit of that uh, in each chapter, because if you just govern yourself and, you know, put the phone down and learn a couple of things and start to implement them, then like I said, at the beginning, you're creating that air gap between you and all this other chaos going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, to me, there's there is a national security
2: backdrop to every one of these skills that I think people don't, don't realize. No, um, number all. four, be your own butcher. That sounds fun.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, you know, you know it and I've learned it, but you know, the parts of an animal and how to, you know, really leverage every part of an animal is important. You know, people that, you know, do it for the first time, you're probably going to waste 50% of that animal, but you're going to get better and better at it and, uh, and learn how to, uh, really enjoy and put that, put that animal to good use as it should be, you know? Um, you know, it's not about, you know, it sounds horrible, right? The whole butcher thing. But once you get into harvesting your own meat, you understand that it's really, once again, it's a it's a staple skill that, you know, everyone should at least understand so that if you do go and you're on the hunt and you've got meat, you can do the basics. Yeah. It's it's still a basic skill that's very foreign to a lot of folks. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, it, to me, the, there's an element of harvesting your own food and, and being able to do that that is a very... Inherently genetically ingrained and primal component to being a human being yeah. you know, that, that so many of, of, of us have lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter five kind of dovetailing onto that, be your own hunter.
3: Yeah. There's the big three of this book that I've identified that everyone should, you know, it's be, be, a, be your own builder, be your own farmer, be your own hunter. And the farming and the hunting are interchangeable because maybe you don't have time. Maybe you don't have land to do the farming thing. Well, then hunting is a great alternative um, along with foraging so that you can now have, you know, your plate full, a yeah. well-balanced meal, right? Uh, but both are equal in the sense that they take, it's a lot of patience involved in hunting. Um, but having a basic understanding, going back to our roots is key. And once you kind of have all three under your belt at a basic level, you'd be surprised just at how advanced you really are. Yeah. Just, just by maintaining some of those skills. But hunting, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's become more and more popular, especially bow hunting, um, which we touch on a little bit in there. Uh, but I built the book so that people get more of a general knowledge of hunting and uh, you know, and, and the patience that comes with it.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, if you can't uh, hunt or harvest or capture your food, then yeah. you're going to starve. That's <laughs> and right. It doesn't matter how good of a butcher or builder you are, right? This episode is brought to you by EuroOptic.com. Now, if you haven't heard of these guys yet, EuroOptic is an online retailer of optics, firearms, hunting apparel, and outdoor gear. They carry all the major brands that we all know and love, like Vortex, Swarovski, Nightforce, Leupold, Sitka hunting gear, uh, Beretta, CZ, and lots more. EuroOptic is a veteran-owned company based in Central Pennsylvania. Their team of customer service reps are the best in the industry. They're all hunters, shooters, and outdoor enthusiasts, so they have the first-hand knowledge of the gear that they offer. I'm telling you, nobody knows more than these guys. If you're familiar with Euro Optic, then you already know they have faster shipping than anyone else. With their RED shipping, you will get your purchase shipped the same day and it will be on your doorstep in one to two days for free. Just look for the RED logo on most of their stuff. Since these folks are supporting us, we'd like to support them. So head on over to eurooptic.com forward slash mic drop, all one word, to see everything that they have to offer. Again, that's www.eurooptic.com forward
3: slash mic drop.
2: Number six, be your own homemaker.
3: Was yeah this, this more, is this more your feminine side this feminine is side? yeah, it's more my martha stewart side um so how, how
2: big of a role do colors play in being your own homemaker
3: i mean setting the ambiance i like candles <laughs> not colors and i like scents <laughs> but uh, uh yeah so be your own homemaker is exactly that um i was surprised at like and I think you too. I mean, we all know coconut oil yeah. for really only maybe a couple of coffee and jerking off. There you go. That's pretty much and all so, I use it for. But you can actually do a whole lot more. And uh, so we get into how to make your own pomade, shampoo, and conditioner. Um, of course, coconut oil combined with uh, you know beeswax makes all kinds of stuff. And once again, getting families to be families again, grab a project out of the book, get in your kitchen, knock it out. And I tried to vary the environments, right? It's not, the rugged life isn't about, you know, I got to be outside doing all these, you know, hard things. It's also about just having an understanding of the more home-based stuff that you could be doing that makes you self-reliant and not rely on stores or supply chain issues or, you know, the economy.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the it's it's all connected too, you know. Is that like there's certain basic tenets of of every aspect of your life that all kind of uh, you know ha- have a synergy with one another. I will say that makes me think of something different. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to show you guys what that is. I'll just say it's on page one seventy. Uh, if if you miss it, then we can't be friends.
3: Um, yeah, there's the, always subliminals in my stuff. That's you know for that. Sure. I love it, um, yeah, especially. All right. the- the rabbits. That's right. Uh, be your own protector. Yeah, that's a little connected to hundred deadly skills, but you know, let's face it, having a, a basic ability to protect yourself, your home, uh, your loved ones uh, is is once again a staple item. You gotta you gotta have a plan. You gotta think through it and implement some good safety security, uh, just so that you got the peace of mind for you and in your, in your family. How big of a role, I mean, I I know how I feel about
2: it, but in terms of like being realistic, especially about being your own protector is that there's kind of different levels of, of expectation as, as an individual, you know, there's some people like, I think half the battle is being honest with yourself about what you're really capable of versus not Mm -hmm. And, and, and making accommodations or, um, you know compromises with with that to a certain extent like hey if you're you know a 78 year old you know hip replaced grandmother yeah like there's going to be things that you probably focus on more from like a a early warning camera you know alarm based stuff versus you know a 24 year old fucking 6'4 230 pound former high school linebacker that you know so do you you put any credence into that or is it just more general purpose
3: yeah of course we uh, really focus in that chapter about the, the big D's, right? So in in both the corporate and now it's kind of moved over into home security is, you know, creating a layered perimeter all the way to what's important and what's important being in the center of that perimeter. And it's leveraging these D words. So the outer is, you know, you want to deter, right? You put up signage, you can put up beware a dog, you can put up, hey, electric fence, you know, different signage and psychological things that make a make a bad guy go, you know, I'm not even going to mess with that property, right? Yeah. And just deter them all together. Yeah. Um, lighting plays a big deal with that too. Like illuminate the crap out of the inside, keep the inside dark, right? So simple, simple practices uh, that we go over through the five D's and explaining each piece and then how to implement it no matter where you live. And it applies to both young and old alike. Yeah. Yeah. You, had, you had me at the big D. Big D, yep. Uh, chapter 8,
2: be your own RTO or communicator for those uh, not not familiar with that acronym.
3: Yeah, so RTO, I get a lot of questions on what that is, radio telephone operator. Um, it is the comms guy in the military. Um, and it's a piece of the lifestyle that most people don't think about. It's very rare, even on the homesteads. You know, to go backwards a little bit, I went to different families that live Varying degrees of the rugged life. One family uh, lives on grid, and when we say on grid, off grid, that's really where is power, water, uh, kind of coming from. You know, so are they providing it themselves, or are they relying on the city or the state? Um, so some are on grid, some are off grid. Um, but out of all the families I talked to, only one.
0: Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No
1: purchase necessary. We were by law. 18
3: plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Actually, one of your guests, Rapiers, actually had a comms plan, um, and then we're talking beyond phones because if phones go down, you still need a way to communicate, and so I broke that chapter down so that you're getting a layered approach. You've got how do I communicate with the people in my home or on my property? How do I communicate with people outside of it? And then how can I communicate further? And then, of course, what are, the, what are what's the most important? Number one is I need information. So a shortwave radio is great even when the power is down or the phones don't work because now you can still tune in. And over the national broadcast system, which has been around for decades, you can collect pertinent information about what's going on in your area for free. And so having a shortwave radio is a good idea. And then I just build from there so that people can go, go out and very quickly build their comms plan and not spend a lot of money. This book isn't about spending money. It's about making you go out and leverage and use all of the technologies out there, but it's really cheap. And then now you've got it, you got that peace of mind and you know that one, I can communicate beyond cell phone And I can also collect information without relying on, you know, my cable provider.
2: Yeah. Uh, It's a huge component that again, you know, similarly to the, if power and water is gone and the dollar is worth nothing add to that cell phone towers are knocked out and there's no internet, you know? um, And I think that, you know, that's a, that's an important thing to, to consider Um, chapter nine, be your own first responder.
3: Yeah. I think, you know, knowing, uh, how to how to solve problems when it comes to your health? You know, it's both trauma and on the disease process side. Um, you know, if you and knowing your place, right? If you live way off grid, then you probably need a little more medical training than the average person. If you live in the suburbia, then obviously you got nine one one probably seven minutes away. So you really have to kind of understand the environment in which you live in, and then determine you know kind of rack and stack your skills and capability based on that. Um, but everyone should have at least a baseline of EMT basic, you know, um, you don't need to be all the way to like paramedic level or, you know, PA or, you know, doctor. Um, but having that good understanding of trauma medicine and disease process goes a long ways um, in solving problems until real help gets there. Yeah. No, I mean, that can be the difference between making it and
2: not making it is as, as a couple of little things like that, you know, Yeah. Which Obviously, you know, we, uh, I mean, you've put me through a fair bit of medical training in the, in the SEAL platoons we did together, but you know, just, just some of that basic knowledge, uh, you know, can be, can be life-saving. No, no doubt about it. Uh, chapter 10, be your own handyman. Yeah. Going back to builder. I mean,
3: you know, I think a lot of folks have, you know, lost <laughs> their just basic capabilities of tinkering and fixing and and doing it yourself type stuff. Now it's really popular. People watch a lot of videos on do it yourself, but I feel like there's not too many people actually putting it to use. So that chapter is dedicated to really giving you the skills, but more so like the differences between like, you know, the the rating or the the torque on a drill. When you see the dial, it says one to let's say 13, or sometimes it has a screw on one end and a drill bit on the other as you dial it in. And most people don't understand that numbering system. So I went ahead and explained it for them in there, (laughs) or, you know, they see nails and it's like, I, I went ahead and said, yeah, there's all these nails in the world. There's all these screws in the world, but here's what they're really used for, you know, So that when you're standing at Home Depot and you're looking at a thousand sets of different kinds of nails, you know, it's, it's probably important you walk in there with that little bit of education beforehand, save yourself a lot of time and money. Yeah. And, uh, so that's really handyman kind of breaks all those basic stuff down for you. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. so, I mean, in all 10 of these
2: chapters, again, it it makes me think, it kind of reminds me of, of insurance or, you know, a seatbelt in that, uh, it's not something you think about until you need it, you know, yeah. but, but there, those are also both things that if you wait until you need it, you're fucked, you right. know, and, and you don't realize how <laughs> woefully fucked you are in, until that happens, you know? And so I, I think, you know, for anybody listening, you know, you, you should at, at least at a, at a bare minimum as a, as a citizen of the United States, you, you should at least think about the prospect of waking up tomorrow where, the U.S. dollar is worth basically nothing or, or money doesn't get you anything anymore. The power grid and water grid is, has been fouled and, and it's not working. Cell phone towers are down and and there's no Internet access. You know, Is that likely that that's going to happen? It's probably not likely, but it's goddamn sure possible, especially with what's going on now and, and the, the ramping up of, of both Russia and China and, and how technologically advanced they are in terms of cyber attack and, and attacking infrastructure and stuff is that at a minimum, you should at least think of that scenario and have some general fucking plan for what you would do if that happened. Because if you have no plan and that happens, you've got about seventy-two hours before you're probably fucking dead. Yeah. You know. Um, and so, to me, what what I think is really neat about this book is that is that's that's kind of the answer to all of that. You know, is, it, is that it gives you a really good um, general idea on on how to to make it to where if that happened, you'd still be okay, you know, and even if that doesn't happen, you know, again, I can't stress enough both for you individually and, um, you know, a, as a collective society, the more self-reliant each individual is, the stronger the, the collective country is, you know, so um, it's a fucking awesome book. Uh, I love it. I appreciate you writing it and sending me one. And uh, is there anything that, that you want to add to that or that you wish was in there that isn't or uh, or, or anything like that?
3: No, I I think it's, I mean, each chapter, like I said, are dozens and dozens of books out there. There's just nothing that holistically covers the basics of what you need to know in order to be, you know, generally self-reliant. And uh, it's important to note the red dawn scenario of the sky filling with red parachutes and us being taken over, um, you know, it's it's not going to happen that way. It's going to happen on the cyber digital front first. Yeah. Um, you know, when you bring up China and Russia, I mean, they are not so much Russia. Um, I've always said that Putin and Russia have been paper mache tiger, you know, more bravado than actual action. And whereas China is the opposite. It is. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's always been Putin himself has always been a bigger bark than a bite. And we're finding that out is, Tanks run out of fuel and they even think about main supply routes, right? <laughs> it's like the first thing you should do is think about main supply routes. <laughs> and he just kind of put that as last. And now he's having a hard time playing catch up. But, <clears throat> and then, you know, my honest opinion, I think once he has his land bridge, you know, kind of secured, then I think things will lighten up over there. But, you know, China is really the big, their, their first option weapon system is stolen technology from the United States you know, electromagnetic pulse capability put on two submarines. <clears throat> and if they wanted to, they could put one of their subs in the Atlantic, one in the Pacific, fire off those EMPs that they stole from us, and the wave would meet in the center of the United States and would just basically fry every piece of electronics we have. That's their first weapon strike option. It's not nukes, right? Nukes, is a, it's cool and all at one point in history, but now... things have kind of surpassed that and if you hit us with those EMPs well then you know you're back to caveman you know caveman world here in the United States unfortunately and anything that's plugged in fries because the uh, most people don't know but EMP specifically will attack anything that's plugged in because the the cord acts as almost like an antenna um, that's the, both connected to the grid and to the device you're charging. And it's a scary, it's a scary scenario, but that's not what the rugged life is about. It's a, that is the plan for the worst hope for the best. Uh, but the reality is the rugged life is about just people taking more ownership and self-reliance and stop relying on, you know, clicking on a few, um, you know, links on your phone having food show up to your front door convenience is what has made us complacent convenience is what's made us lazy and that is the overall scary thing yeah no,
2: I, I couldn't agree more I mean it's a it's a very uh, appropriate time for this book to come out and uh, and I yeah again I appreciate you writing it again it's called oh, the Thanks. rugged life check that shit out you can get it uh, pretty much everywhere right everywhere books are sold yeah, yep Amazon uh, at the at the nudie mag store the triple x and the highway and probably oh, yeah. yeah referring to the illustration that
3: you pointed out yeah. on page <laughs> that'll give
2: you a, a tip <laughs> uh so speak, speaking of china and russia you know we, we've gone over kind of uh the thirty thousand foot view of your military career uh in in the first time you were on and a little bit in the second uh what i would like to kind of focus on now is is just some of the the things that you did and and uh as a, as, you, as you've been out a little while now kind of you know, going over some of the intricacies of, of some of the, you know, pretty high speed shit that you've done uh, at different commands there. If, if you could, I mean, we, you know, we, again, we kind of glazed over each, each component of uh, where you've been and in, in the general uh, summary of, of mm-hmm. what you did there. But, uh, you know, towards the later end of your career, you know, a- after you and I worked together at SEAL Team 3, you know, we deployed to Iraq together, we came back, I went one way, you went another way if you could kind of pick that up, Uh, I know there are certain things that you can't get into, but if you could kind of go into, into where you went from there and and some of the good shit that you did, uh, you know,
3: stemming from, from those commands, that would be awesome. Yeah. I think, um, you know, since the publication of the right kind of crazy and the fact that it went to the Pentagon and, you know, they redacted, you know, a hundred, pages of that damn book, <laughs> it's given me the flexibility now to know what I can and can't talk about. So um, first and foremost, I think it's important to define covert, right? And define clandestine because even even my closest friends use those words poorly. So I think folks would find it interesting and I define it very simply as covert is when you hide the sponsor, right? You're hiding technology used in the operation, but more importantly, you're hiding the money trail because it's the money trail and technology that will burn you every fucking time. And so for something to be truly covert is, it's very difficult um, these days, especially as technology advances, you know, a perfect example of a covert operation going poorly was in Italy during a rendition. You had, 17 CIA operatives identified because they were using phones that were then connected to government work, you know, and uh, That's just and that's just the first layer, you know cell phones There's a term in the covert world at technology kills and it's very true. You never Carry your devices. You never carry anything with you and there's a lot of forethought that goes into keeping something covert so Hiding the sponsor. So in most operations, hiding the sponsor means you're hiding the United States government from that action. Um, Clandestine. Now, clandestine means you're hiding the actions, right? And so in order for anything to be covert, you've got to have these clandestine actions take place, which are things that can happen sometimes in plain sight and nobody notices it or other things that happen, you know, under the cover of, you know, darkness and, you know, and in one cycle of the night, but clan clandestine means hide the action. And then covert means hide the sponsor. And so my last part of my career was dealing pretty much hundred percent in these covert actions, um, at, at varying levels, you know, so I worked for an agency in DC and, did that for a while. I wore a lot of different hats while I was there. And, uh, you know, there were some deployments connected with that. And um, and really, it boiled down to employing technology against our adversaries. You know, and you'd be amazed at the kind of technology we've got going on these days that would probably make the average person very feel very more secure about what's going on. You know, I see the news and I'll see, you know, things about whatever, it's China and, you know, la you know, whatever country du jour that we're concerned about, you know, for a while there, it's North Korea, you know, and it's China now it's Russia and, you know, and it kind of goes back and forth between our favorite adversaries. But, you know, from my angle, knowing the kind of technology that's been employed against these adversaries makes you go, eh, we're all right. You know, we got some things in place. And I think, you know, it's good that it stays secret. It's good that it's not openly public uh, because obviously any time we do something against them or use technology against them and they figure it out then they're gonna they're gonna go ahead and create a um a stopgap for that and then now we're back to creating new ways of getting in or getting out or whatever it is we want to do to them um can but you, my yeah can you talk about the uh, some of the hats you wore at that that command yes um i mean so one was i ran a a pipeline of education where we transitioned operators, if you will, to operatives, right? And uh, at the time, it's like, you know, it was kind of like new and unheard of, um, because you would think an operator would be the exact opposite of an operative, you know, and we, when I say operator, I mean, you're wearing body armor, night vision, you've got your gun, you're kicking doors in and you're, you know, you're shooting people in the face kind of stuff. Um, and an operative is literally the opposite of that. You're you're not working in a team environment. You're working more solo and independent or in pairs. And you're wearing business casual. You're flying business class. And you're doing what you and your 22 buddies used to do, but now you're doing it by yourself, right? Um, but for me, I felt like taking operators and turning them into operative was the best, even though there was a lot of people that said, no, that's a horrible idea. Um, I felt like it was a great idea because taking a combat experience guy that's already got basic soldiering skills, field craft, and now you give him offensive and defensive trade craft? Holy fuck, you've got a, a tool that is far more superior than the Harvard graduate that you grab, and then you give him some just trade craft without the soldiering skills, without the field craft, without the combat experience, and expect him to pull off shit that takes balls, takes courage. You know, those are things that you don't just get in, you know, a six-month school. Um, those are things that you figure out over time um, because that is, you know, that is what you're getting when you take a an operator and put them in an operative um, kind of place. Yeah. And so –
0: Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes.
1: No purchase necessary. We are prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No purchase necessary board prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for
3: details. That pipeline was one thing. And when I wasn't doing that, then I was deploying and using skills. And literally at the beginning, I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. Right. I just got lucky to be put in this position and go overseas, <laughs> go figure it out, you know, and then come back, take literally take my lessons learned and implement them directly into the next training that the next set of guys were coming through yeah. and then I would go deploy again and take those lessons learned and put them right back into the training. And eventually the pipeline um, became uh, a standard and then was fund. Eventually be, went from a Naval special warfare specific program, got funded and then was recognized by SOCOM and became a SOCOM um, course of instruction. Uh, so, it was my baby for the longest time. And then a, a particular set of skills taught in that pipeline then became my specialty, which is CMOE. Um, and CMOE stands for Clandestine Methods of Entry, which is you know basically getting in and out of targets, leaving zero attribution to the United States government, which is the covert side, and zero forensics, which is the clandestine side, and not connecting it to myself or to you know, our great country. Um, and so, you know, you go out and you do one or two and you get some successes. And then after that, there was only a, you know, me and really another guy that were kind of doing it regularly. Um, and then once you get those successes, then all of a sudden, you know, everyone's throwing all kinds of work at you. Yeah. And uh, I had the opportunity to, you know, basically get in and out of structures, vehicles, vessels, and containers and uh, to my knowledge, there aren't too many other team guys or SEALs that had the opportunity to, to uh, get in and get out of all of the different things we train to. Um, and I would say that CMOE is probably one of the most intricate operations you pull off because it requires like an intense amount of surveillance. Like you have to identify all the key holders to the target. That's if, if, if there's a landlord, you have to know who the landlord is and where do they live. And then make sure you've got eyes on them uh, to learn their pattern of life. And that's the outer layer of the target, right? Is the landlord scenario. (laughs) Then you have housekeeping, right? If they have housekeepers, uh, okay, do they have keys? Where do they live? Put them under surveillance, okay? And you work your way all the way to the person who lives in that target or drives that target or visits that target. Um, And so you've got to have... A lot of knowledge before you even think about going into the target. And then you have close target reconnaissance, which is now, okay, we've got all the key holders identified. Now we've got to go, what obstacles are we going to face when we get to this target? You know, your world of dogs, holy shit. You know, that's a, that's going to be like a borderline no-go, but it depends, right? You just got to, you got to sit and you got to watch the target. Um, alarm systems, holy shit, another big ass world. Um, I remember visiting, you know, the FBI and they have a, I think it's 40, 60,000 square foot warehouse of every alarm panel that this world has to offer. And it's like a library of alarm panels you know in a library of infrared like passive motion sensors and a library of door sensors and a library so just imagine this shelves and shelves and walls and walls and that's when you walk into a place like that that's when you realize like oh this is a full-time job just this piece yeah understanding and knowing alarm systems and then you have locks there was a target i went to that made me realize you have to understand colonization of an area. Who would have thought? A, a seal going, what's oh, the history of this country? <laughs> what is the colonization of this country? Oh, well, you can go up to the door, and there's there's an Italian lock. There's a British, you know, uh, uh, like basically a, a British standard lock. And then there's a five-pin tumbler. All on one door, Right. And you have to assume all three are being used, and all three work very different than the other. Right? They're all completely different lock systems. So you're like, holy shit, I didn't expect that. Go back, start doing some studying. Start going. Hey, call up your Brits, my buddies over there, and go. Hey, uh, we need to come over and you know learn these, these British standard locks because they are a pain in the ass. Now for them, it's no big deal. But you but put them on a quick set or a Schlage, Schlage or whatever, and they're like, what the fuck? Right now, five pen tumblers for them. You know, it's probably, you know, it's a less of a question mark than British Standard locks. You know, those are old school, which you see skeleton keys are used for, yeah. you know, and they have these big, uh, you know, they're not pins. They're like these plates inside that all that move at different heights. And it's a totally different way to try and get past a British Standard lock than it is a five pin tumbler that we're used to here in the United States. Um, but bottom line is when you really look at how, much there is that you have to collect. It's almost overwhelming. And, you know, and that's not even counting the target themselves. So, you know, when you look at the target who you're, you know, the human going in and out of that vehicle, that structure, that container, that vessel, you know, it becomes kind of the smallest piece, the smaller piece, yeah. you know, because you really have to understand that neighborhood, that harbor, that skyscraper. Uh, and then you narrow it in, but you're keeping track of everything the whole time. So that's why I started with saying it's one of the most challenging operations to pull off and maintain a level of covertness and clandestine uh, that that's out there. I mean, at least in my experience, it was it was one of the most challenging, but also probably one of the most fucking adrenaline yeah. flowing yeah. fucking. Yeah. Just one of the <laughs> coolest damn things. Makes everything else seem yeah. fucking boring. You go in and you're like, holy shit, you know, yeah. and it's just you and all that success and all that failure is always one second away from, you know, being your greatest or your worst moment. I mean, yeah. it's like, and it's all on your shoulders alone. It's a lot, a lot of times it's all on, all on you. You know, if you get lucky, you know, there was times when you got, you know, maybe some some other forces or partner nations that could help out on the surveillance side. But um, it's a lot of work. And uh, so I had the opportunities of deploying and doing that type of stuff in different capacities. Um, you know, that is definitely the most gratifying, satisfying thing you could do. Yeah. Have you kept track or have a ballpark idea of about how many
2: of those real world scenarios that you uh,
3: participated in? Oh, I mean, dozens, probably, if I really thought about it, like there was times and I'd go for, you know, let's say a three to six month block, but that whole time, um, you're you're targeting specific things and that information sometimes leads to. From one, basically from one thing to the next to the next to the next. You know, so w- when I would leave the United States, you know, a lot of times it started with maybe one or two things that needed to be accomplished. But then while you're there, it, it turns out that, no, no, it, it turns into, you know, a half a dozen things that need to get done yeah. in order to achieve the one. Right? Right. I There was, you know, a moment when, um, you know, just – being in country, uh, there was some human guys that were like, hey, you know, we, we just have some sources we need vetted. We don't know if they're on our side or on the bad guy's side. Do you think you could, you know, get into his vehicle and take a look around? I'm like, sure. <laughs> like, that was just spontaneous crap, right? Or, yeah. hey, he's he's coming to, uh, to like, let's say, this certain hotel, and we're going to go ahead and, you know, give him the quick search and uh, his briefcase or messenger bag will be put over here. Do you think you can get into those and see what you find? Sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there would be these oddball, weird little things that would sometimes pop up just for the, the nature of work that I was there to do. And if they knew about it, then they'd be like, Hey, can you help us on this and help us up? And before you know it, you've racked up a, a dozen little itty bitty CMOE operations that you would have, I would have never predicted, you know,
2: did any of those little ones turn into like just the, total fucking lucked out, like, holy shit, this is this guy, and he's connected to this guy. Were, were there any of those, like, total just lucky moments that way? Mm, no, I wouldn't
3: say lucky. I mean, there were definitely moments when. B- Big-ticket people that you like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, there was one time um, I had no idea, you know, just kind of today being the anniversary of Bin Laden getting whacked, you know, uh, today, right? What's today? May 2nd. Yeah. Um, you know, as soon as he died, then a guy named triple a became the next, you know, the next target. He became the number one guy and, uh, that's Anwar al And, um, you know, this is a guy that if you really look into his background, um, you know, you and I could have been in a Seven Eleven at any given moment in time in San Diego. And he, could have been standing in line with us, right? Yeah. He lived amongst us during our time on the West Coast. Yeah. Isn't that crazy to think Fuck about, nuts. right? Yeah. And he's a U.S. educated, U.S. citizen, right? Um, but he was Yemenese, you know, and, you know, he was the one of the surprise targets I got to operate against um, and was successful, you know, and, but it was also very controversial, right? Because Obama decided, yeah, we're going to go ahead and kill this dude. Um, And it was literally the first U.S. citizen. Without a trial, without. Right. You know, it was like, you know, but he was number, gone from number two to number one of Al-Qaeda. Where Anwar is mostly known is through his YouTube videos, right? He was the guy that was literally leveraging Um, social platforms to radicalize people all over the world, you know? So all of his videos were online there for the longest time. And he is actually probably more, he's probably got more, he was more responsible for terrorist attacks than anyone else in AQ history because of his reach through the internet, right? If you look at like, what was it? Uh, uh, Fort Sam Houston. Was it Fort Sam where, uh, you know, you had the Colonel go and start shooting people and, you know, we've had a, we, the, the Boston Fort Hood, Fort Hood, Fort Hood. And then you had the, the Boston marathon bombing. If you take and look at all of these individual acts of terrorism in the United States, they are connected back to Anwar (laughs) Al-Awlaki. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, but having the opportunity to, uh, you know, operate against him. Um, you know, and even even early on with bin Laden, you know, he had a fleet of vessels that, you know, I think he had roughly 20 plus uh, vessels that I had the opportunity to operate against. And yeah. um, and that was during the time span when everybody was, you know, operating against bin Laden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the entire United States government was, was operating against the guy. But, you know, I've had those little moments that were that were pretty cool because only because it was big name targets. And you're like, all right, this is, this is, that's the kind of stuff you sign up for. That's the kind of stuff that makes you the varsity squad shit. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is, uh, you know, you join the Navy and you, uh, I would have never, you know, never thought that you'd get to go and do things like that. But the the details of all of that is definitely in the right kind of crazy. (laughs) Can you uh, shed any light on operating against? Yeah, I mean, operating against uh, comes in varying formats. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but for me, you know, having be a, a breaking and entering kind of guy, um, you know, putting, breaking in, you know, into a place is, can be categorized as two different reasons why you're there. And uh, the first one would be tactical. There's going to be a tactical act against this target. So my job is to maybe sometimes just identify it. You know, you could, I could put a, uh, an infrared beacon, you know, um, outside the, the front door, just so the assaulters know that that's the right one, or, you know, or it could be that that would be more of a tactical approach. A technical approach is the second, right? Meaning I'm going to put a device that in place <clears throat> against the target, and so that's kind of, it's either going to be a tactical reason or a technical reason why I'm there. Um, but usually what follows is all going to be just bad for whoever place <laughs> I just went into. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be good for, for them if, uh, if I got in and confirmed anything about this person, you know? Yeah. yeah.
2: Are, are there any movies via Hollywood that, that actually get it right as far as that type of shit that where you can be like, yeah, that's actually pretty fucking realistic?
3: Um there are parts of Zero Dark Thirty that kind of highlight um some of the stuff that you know what, what it takes before you the, the target actually gets taken down um I would even say go far as far back as uh, Black Hawk Down there is one of my good friends and mentors if you remember that movie there's a guy standing in the souk by himself doing surveillance. And then later he's got his mountain back mountain bike over his shoulder yeah, right at the beginning. And, and then yeah. he steps onto a Blackhawk helicopter that picks him up on the beach. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that guy became one of my mentors and led me down that more um, clandestine path yeah. and, and is definitely
0: Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No
1: purpose necessary. We we're prohibited by law 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void we're prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
3: just probably one of the smartest dudes but also the most like savage motherfuckers you will ever meet yeah. you think you think he would come on here I could ask him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, we'll, we'll give him a handy on the couch. <laughs> because, uh. Yeah, he is. Uh, I, and, and only the people who know him know who I'm talking about. Otherwise yeah. they'll be like, Oh, I didn't even pay attention yeah. to that scene in the movie, but that yeah. was real. And that was him. And yeah. he is a real person who uh, to this day, uh, last I know still is just doing amazing things Fuck, awesome. by himself. That's yeah. fucking cool. Yeah,
2: uh, I guess you know. So beyond Zero Dark Thirty and Black Hawk Down, I guess from a from a CMOE standpoint, the Mission Impossible, uh, James Bond, newer James Bond stuff, mm-hmm. like any of that, like I know it's all Hollywood and far fetched, generally speaking. But is, is there any? of that kind of stuff of the actually getting into targets and, and doing surveillance or digging through people's desks and picking fucking like that <laughs> kind of shit that you see, that you see so often.
3: Yeah. Well, I can tell like, you, is it like that? I no, guess. no. I mean, lock picking is hell. I wouldn't even list it as a last resort. You know, um, the, the a, a CMOE guy, whether it's, you know, it's me or if you talk to any of our, our, uh, our allied countries, and it's a very small world, obviously. We all had really the same mission, and that is to, you know, you want repeatable, reliable means of reentry, right? Now, you would probably take those words and twist them around into something perverted, but <laughs> reliable. Why would, you, why would you say that? Reliable, repeatable <laughs> means of reentry. You're not going to do that with lockpicks. Yeah, to me, that, that means a solid game. Right, Just right. Like you it's, get, I've got a key. Yeah. So making keys to a target is very much an old <clears throat> locksmithing skill, and myself and my uh, my CMOE partner, we we probably could make a key to a target at the beginning before we implemented some technology. We could do it in like seven minutes. Make a t- make a key on target, um, and. And then now you've got a functioning key that I made, uh, just by doing some tricks with the, the key way that, you know, in the middle of the night, um, later we started creating technology that, you know, we could have a key made in literally uh, a few minutes or less just with the technology alone.
2: So if I see you on the ring camera, hanging out on my stoop for a couple of minutes, i safe to say you're just making your own fucking
3: key to the house (laughs) (laughs) yeah there you go you know but if you do it right you're taking cameras into consideration and uh you know as you know i i got to play around with um with uh the world of disguise and disguise is 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 definitely mandatory because you have to assume there's a nanny cam inside and that there's a you know some kind of camera on the outside yeah door so you have to consider all of that and uh you know the the world of disguise is a, is also a very small but big place and um, you know I, I donated one to the spy museum. I saw it actually. I sent you that picture of me. Standing oh yeah yeah. Of it. yeah yeah. So I I put it up there and then recently I got a letter from a certain agency you know that had nothing to do with that 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 disguise. Say they're going to just go ahead and take it back now. Really? <laughs> yeah. So they they uh, they. They took it from the museum, and uh, from what I heard, they put it in their own museum. That's fucked up. So, yeah. I mean, no. shit, it's already been out there. It's not like. No, it, it was it was kind of cleared. You yeah. know, it's not like I was doing anything wrong. It's yeah. just they, they just kind of, you know, yeah. just decided they uh, wanted it back. So,
2: disguise-wise, similarly, like, I think most people, even myself included, thinks of, like, the active Mission Impossible fucking melts-to-your-face you know, super high speed uh, disguise of what you can without getting yourself into trouble. What can you tell us about kind of the disguise game as it relates
3: to? Ironically enough, um, it's not very. It's not stamped secret, right? It's a it's a very sensitive world, um, but I would say that a lot of of that world is is no different than what is used in Hollywood. Um, You know, silicone and um, there's a lot of different materials that, you know, they can cast a face and mold something to it. You know, it's a process, you know, and, but it by no means was invented by the United States government. Right. I mean, this is a Hollywood thing that was then leveraged, you know, by, by the government. It's, uh, it's, and it's actually really, really kind of cool in its own creative way. Um, and if done right and implemented right, it is foolproof, right? Unless you get caught, like, with a mask in your hand, <laughs> <laughs> you know, then, then you're in trouble. But there's a lot of, like, forethought, right? So, you know, people think of a mask as, like, it's animated, um, an animated mask moves like if my eyebrows move, the mass eyebrows move. My facial features and facial muscles will then, you know, control the mask that's on my face. Um, and then there's the more non-animated, which I would say is like uh, any Halloween costume out there where you buy a realistic mask, you put it on and, you know, nothing happens when I move my face. So there, there's a lot of branched off worlds um, even the puppet world plays a role here because how mechanically your uh, a, a face moves, um, you know, can be done by using kind of like puppet engineering. So, uh, like any world, it's it's always bigger than you can think. Once you kind of get in there and you start looking around at all these different options, and uh, but it is a, a great way to secure and ensure an operation, you know, from beginning to end uh, because you have to assume that technology an- is watching yeah, anonymity wise, especially with facial recognition shit that they yeah. have. Now. So, I
2: mean, is it safe to assume then that the animated versions are a, the preferred and b the most often
3: used? Uh, no. Really? Uh, animated means you, it, it implies that you also speak the language, right? So if you're, if you know shit can speak that language and uh, then you you could get away with maybe an animated, but even then there's a certain amount of risk. You know, disguise is 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 for the most part a distance thing, right? It's a or a camera thing. It's not a hey, blend me and you hanging out together, right? That's that's taking an unusual amount of risk. Um, it it can apply to that situation, but there is distance and. And other things that are kind of in place, but just so that, you know, you're not identified later kind of thing. Would it be,
2: I guess, fair to say that the non-animated version is a is a buffer so that you can just not attract attention and stick out, like I said, a set of dog's balls in, in a normal community or environment yeah. or whatever? I guess I'm just thinking of it, you know, one from the standpoint of like sometimes, you know, you're at a store and you see something that just seems fucking off. Right. You know, whether it's, there's just something like, wait a minute, like something's not fucking right. It's almost like a glitch in the system with fucking matrix. You know, it's like, wait a minute. To, to me, it would seem like a non-animated mask would bring that, that same level of like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? You know, right.
3: You, you wouldn't, you wouldn't wear it in those situations. It's uh, you know, it's really once again to trick the eye and trick cameras From afar, I mean, it's no different than. It doesn't matter if it's a some Hollywood mask or it's pantyhose over your face. You know, it's
2: you. Well, I guess I'm just thinking like worst case scenario. Like I would rather if if I'm doing the CMOE thing, like I would rather have the animated in case somebody comes up to me that you know. So if, if you are like, even though it's not, I get that it's not designed the you know the non animated is not designed to to move and and blend in it's i'd still rather be that way in case it comes to that you know is it like there's an unexpected person walking their dog by or something and and,
3: or whatever you know but but. yeah i see what you're saying Uh, once again it goes back to your language skills because the an animated versus non-animated when they're sitting still they're you can't tell okay right it's not like they look any different. It's just going to be movement versus no movement. And when you're, it's at night, you know, low light and you're, well, for me, I'm at the door doing my thing. And if someone were to walk up on me, you know, for my personal SOPs was like create pain and run away, but never say a word yeah. because it's the description of you <clears throat> that matters, right yeah it's and so but if i had the language and the dialect down then yeah you know but really it's not going to change create pain and get away <laughs> it's still yeah still the
2: goal it, so is the reason for i mean to me it just i guess I, I don't mean to hang up on it it's just if it's me it's like why not do the animated is it because it, it's it's easier to fuck up. It, it takes longer to put on it. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole
3: lot more to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. There's a lot more to that world than I gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So
2: you basically just want to use the bare
3: minimum. Yeah. Okay. And and you know if it's employing something. You want to be able to do it quickly. Yeah. You know the things that I was doing I could do in like five seconds. You know, whereas there are other things out there that take far longer. Yeah. And so, and. It just doesn't make sense for what you're doing, you know. If I'm going to go and meet you and we're going to have a conversation and it's it's valuable enough meat, then, yeah, maybe I'm going to um, go in the more animated route. But
2: Were there times that, that you did that?
3: No, no, no. I mean, were,
2: were there any places where it was outside of English that you spoke it well enough to be able to pull that off?
3: No. Yeah. I mean, to no. me, that
2: that's something where... Like even if you, you know, English as a second language, like there's a difference between being able to speak it, be understood and whatever, and then blending in as though you're from there. Those are two totally different things, you know? Yeah.
3: You know, I, you know, me and like the first, you know, Escape the Wolf book, I highlight cultural awareness for that reason. It's not, you look at America, you can take every geographical point in America and there's not going to be the same culture going on, right? I mean, it is... It' no different than any other country. So to know exactly, you know, all those differentiators yeah. for the area you stand or you operate in is yeah. almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, Unless you grew up there and live there.
2: Yeah. I mean, even here it's like, you know, maybe, maybe I've adopted some of the, a little bit of twang here and there of being in Texas for as long as I have. But like, especially the first few years I was here, especially where I was living at the time in a more rural area where there's way, way thicker accents. I mean, the second I start talking to somebody, so where are you from? You're you're not from here, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean, it, like that seems like it's almost impossible to pull off. But um, yeah, f- from a, a ballpark CMOE standpoint, um, you know, in in you walking through and talking about all of the the research and the and the surveillance and all that, was there kind of an average? And I, and I know that it varies, but was there a, a a ballpark average of how much time it took? you to to research surveil prep and all that before you you entered is it days weeks months just depends it
3: kind of depends because it's you know operationally sometimes these targets um are being vetted for years right and so you come in 10 minutes you fuck it all up (laughs) exactly (laughs) So some targets are, you know, have a, have a very lengthy and long vetting process and some it's a little faster. Some it's like, you know, and it was very rare where it was like, fuck it, just go do what you can do. Yeah. You know, I guess in
2: the, in the instances where you are starting the surveillance, you know, and it's a, it's a self-contained operation. Is that usually where it'd be, you know, a few weeks or. Yeah. It would be
3: probably, yeah, weeks and months, Yeah, you know, it'd probably be the. The average, you know, what's funny is I'm out long enough now where I actually go, oh, fucking, I'm trying to remember some <laughs> of this shit, you know. And that's the beauty, too, is I've been out long enough. I, I can comfortably say, knowing that, you know, that world moves at the speed of light, that there's nothing that, you know, I, I could really say that, you know, compromises the integrity of anything that anyone else has got going on now because it moves so fucking fast, yeah. right? I mean, the money and the training and the technology just allows that stuff to kind of fly by. And I've been, I'm just history and lost in time. And in my own memory, so bad, I have a hard time remembering half the shit anyway, but there's the golden rule that you're, that you're referring to is that like, you know, you know, you're not going to get caught, don't get caught, but always plan for it really, you know, for the most part with every target. So even the ones that, you know, you've been vetting it for for years, or the ones that you know was very hasty. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: I can only imagine that, like, if you've spent weeks or even months surveilling, researching, planning, prepping, that the stage fright that is built up to when you're actually on the fucking doorstep doing it is that that's got to be palpable. Yeah, like where it's like, holy fuck, there's a lot riding on this. It's dangerous. I've just spent the last two and a half months getting ready for this moment. Yeah. And to me, it's like fourth and two, three seconds left, Super Bowl, tied score. <laughs> you know, it's like,
3: is there a big part of that to it? Yeah. I would say it's an adrenaline dump um, for sure. And I'm trying to kind of think back to those feelings. And I mean, <clears throat> I would compare it to, you know, that same feeling you get when it was, you know, for you and I, where we have the common ground is driving those jet boats up to that go plat. And you're like, now I'm going to step off the bow of this boat onto that platform and then start going up these stairs to the unknown. Right. I mean, it's the same, but I would, I would bump it up a couple of notches only because, you know, most of the time I didn't have my buddies with me. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all, you're all on your own and by yourself and, you know, you're kind of just hoping that your rehearsals and your planning, you know, the, that's all you can do is just stick to your plan. Um, make sure you know your optional courses of action because there's always something that's going to go wrong. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> just go. Yeah. You just go and you get through it. And, there, and you know, and in, in, in the world of locks, Anybody who's been doing it long long enough knows it's also a little bit of luck. Yeah. You know, there's uh if I'm making a key to a door.
0: Before Sarah discovered chumbacasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot and being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah Woohoo! often thinks about the old boring Sarah yes. and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. <laughs> Chumba Casino has over a hundred casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your chance to
1: redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We we're prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void we're prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: You know, yeah, I can, you know, in rehearsals make that key pretty damn quick. But, uh, you know, when it's actually time to do it for real... You're hoping, okay, this better go just as quick as it did yeah. in uh, in the rehearsal. Because if it doesn't, that fucks with the timeline. If you start fucking with the timeline, that starts fucking with everything else. Yeah, and the timeline is everything yeah. when it comes to these operations. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, as far as oh shit moments, right? Like close calls uh, on target or otherwise, is there any one or two that stand out as being the, <laughs> the biggest asshole pucker factor?
3: There was one that kind of lended to my credibility that always kind of is always there and is not easily forgotten. I'd um, gotten into a vehicle, put in a device, everything was fine for about 24 hours. And then that device wasn't reporting any longer, like exact 24 hour mark. I was like, fuck. And, uh, you know, I went through. Every aspect of the rehearsal, right? I knew that the the technology was working and everything was doing its job. And frankly, if there was going to be a promise, it should happen in the first couple of seconds or minute while I was there. Then I would know, okay, now I need to troubleshoot, but it didn't. It, It was 24 hours, right? Which is just, it was mind boggling. Why isn't this thing working? Why isn't this thing doing its job? And I've got now superiors going, why isn't this thing working? Why isn't it doing its job? Like, well, this was one of those rare moments that you have an opportunity to implement something and now we take advantage of it. And the operation in itself was a huge success. But now this technology is deciding to fucking fuck with me. (laughs) And that's what I felt like. Um, But you start going through the checkoff list and I start making phone calls and start trying to troubleshoot and figure it out remotely. And it goes back to an administrative problem. They, because there was a certain amount of billing that oh, came no with shit. this <laughs> and somebody fuck? was seeing the bills, yeah. they go, Oh, we need to shut that thing off. That thing's costing a whole lot of money. What, Fucking what bean counters? What the hell did that, what, we don't know about, what is this, that yeah. this thing that's, costing all this money and so they they shut that fucking contract off for the way that device was communicating <laughs> like, and so you know i was like oh, for for, for the, the, that was a, like a relief moment like okay god it wasn't like it wasn't my fault it wasn't me doing battery calculations wrong yeah right because that's what i was saying i was like holy shit i didn't factor for whatever what variable did i not factor for that caused this thing to eat up its battery life you know in that amount of time and shut off you know you know on a very important you know gig and uh so then it was like oh of course leave it to these motherfuckers true bill strikes again right you know <laughs> it, it's the uh yeah it was uh it was a money thing yeah that shut that motherfucker off so is it safe to say then you
2: know the the methodology that you employed for you know that that crazy amount of prep work that's what eliminates the oh shit moments right is that the somebody comes home early or an unexpected fucking blah 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 again this is you know largely hollywood stuff where it's like oh i'm doing this and all of a sudden oh shit there's a noise and i you gotta hide and like were there ever any of those types of types of moments Um, or is that that, that's the whole point of the surveillance
3: yeah that is that is why there is you're heavy on looking at a target reconnaissance is everything no matter what kind of whether it's on the field craft side the trade craft side you know surveillance 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 you know and you know it's it can make or break you know an entire operation and yes if you if you actually take the time and do it right it eliminates a lot of those those moments of getting caught And, and uh frankly with with these types of operations, it is where the zero-fail mission t- saying came from. It, it, every single time, it was a zero-fail mission. Zero-fail came from this world. I mean, you, and then it kind of bled out to everything else, but you, there is no room, because when you're doing things at that level, which is a national level, uh, the only, the outcome of it, if it goes wrong, is embarrassment to the United States government it's an embarrassment 100% there there's uh and even even when the united states government says we don't know what you're talking about or they just deny it or they just don't even comment on it it's still an embarrassment right, right. it's still a big deal and you don't want to be the reason why yeah. <laughs> it's a big deal yeah. or it's in the news or whatever
2: you yeah. know yeah um i know a lot of these operations that you went on i mean most of them really you were by yourself
3: yeah for the most part you're 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 alone um or very very small team
2: can you, can you talk about like the from start to finish what a just a, a run of the mill operation would be like in terms of when you leave how you get there where you
3: set up or is that that disclosing mm. too much i mean i'll generally without giving up like ttp stuff it's uh you know we know that there's you know the big reconnaissance piece and surveillance and you got to identify everything that you would like with any other target um and then and then usually there's some phase timeline that's uh that's that you that you work backwards uh and usually that will reveal other things that need to get done you know um but I would say taking your time is definitely the the biggest component in patience, you know it's no different than like I compare like, you know, something like, you know, that's become so popular, like bear hunting or jujitsu. It's not about speed, right? It's, it's about just the patience and waiting for the right moment to then, you know, win, to, to win over your adversary in whatever manner you want and, uh, and having total control from beginning to end, you know, and that's, that's the key, you know, like with a bow, you've got to get exponentially closer. You've got to understand camouflage. And you're going to implement every aspect that you can so that you're not detected by sight, smell from that animal. And there's a lot that kind of goes into the same with, it's a lot This is the same with these types of operations. And as you know, getting into jujitsu, you know, you're not trying to be the viper or the cobra and just strike you know, you're, you're a boa constrictor and you're going to just put the weight and patience into that person and let them expend all their energy. And then you're going to wait for your little moment and then you're going to seize that moment and you're going to win. So whether the storm take them into deep water and drown them, (laughs) that one too. Yep. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a patience game and, uh, it's a long game. It's very, and there's a lot of strategy and, and a lot of, uh, you know, consequence you have to think about before you even get started. You have to think about every aspect of consequence Yeah, beforehand. Yeah.
2: We love GhostBed. They have super comfortable mattresses that last forever, and they're made in the USA. Every mattress has a 20-year warranty. Some even have 25, and you can try it out for 101 nights. If you don't like it, you can send it back. No hard feelings. Do you have an RV or a camper? you should check out GhostBed's RV mattress. You can get the all-foam or hybrid version, and it's perfectly sized to fit your RV camper or trailer. It's way better than what you're sleeping on now with exclusive cooling technology to keep you nice and cool throughout the night. Right now, you can get 30% off the RV mattress by using code MICDROP. One of our favorite parts about GhostBed is that each mattress has cooling technology in it, So if you get hot at night like, say, I do here in Texas, these things are a lifesaver. GhostBed also offers bundles so you can get everything you need. You don't even have to really think about it. Just choose from their four mattresses and then pick your bundle. So whether you just need a mattress and frame or you want it all, like their cooling pillows and sheets, you can get the best bang for your buck. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and adjustable base or 30% off everything if you use the code drop at ghostbed.com forward slash MICDROP. You can buy a mattress for like 35 bucks a month. They have zero down, 0% financing plan for up to 60 months. Go check it out at ghostbed.com forward slash MICDROP. Um, what, what about those kind of unexpected factors of let's say you're you're in country you're in the middle of this process and you get like really fucking sick or you get in a car accident or you know something unexpected that way where now all of a sudden because of a, of an unforeseen circumstance now you
3: are on maybe that host nation's radar or like yeah um you know i would say traveling alone is anyone could face that problem and i certainly did there was one moment when, uh, when I ended up getting horribly sick, like deathly ill. And of course I didn't know it until later, but, um, I was in the middle of nowhere by myself and probably the shittiest fucking country you could think of. And, you know, I, I suddenly got a temperature, it rocketed, you know, to a 104, 105. Um, I was trying to self-treat the best I could. And I remember, it like, what I think was like hallucinations, and cr- I mean, I was in this little shithole, like motel, if you will. And I remember it had a ceiling fan, and I remember closing my eyes, but I could still see the ceiling fan turning. You know, it was like, what the fuck? And I'd open my eyes, close my eyes, and I Your eyelids just... were invisible. <laughs> yeah, it was, and I was crawling. I mean, you're talking vomiting and shitting razor blades, almost all at the same time. Yeah, it was horrible. And, uh, and I knew I had to do something, you know, a little bit of that, you know, B- Corman background kicked in and I was like, okay, this is bad. Like I got to get the fuck out of here. And, uh, and so I ended up flying out of that shithole to a different shithole in like <laughs> a couple of hours. Right. And there was, there was a, you know, a logistic system put in place for this, um, that I had to like activate and then got picked up. Flew to the other shithole that just had better hospitals. And uh, it was so fucking weird. I I roll into this. I don't even remember. I remember driving myself. I remember it was daylight and daylight was just so unbearable that how bright it was for me. And, you know, I remember looking down, my, my buttons weren't even lined up properly (laughs) on my, like my button up little like, you know, shirt and, my pants and my, you know, I, I just remember feeling completely disheveled and I, uh, I walk in to this, to this clinic and I thought I was dreaming because the dude spoke perfect English. And I was like, you speak English? And he's like, yes, I was educated at Harvard. And I'm like, what, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing here? It was, you know, and, and, and I, and it, it wasn't until afterwards I like confirmed these facts again because I didn't even I couldn't even trust my own mind at the time I was I was so out of it and uh, immediately they hooked me up, IVs, draw blood and I remember the person drawing blood, they and you know and being a medic you are looking and watching I mean it's like because of my mind, the state of mind I was in everything was in slow motion I remember this person literally putting the needle onto the syringe pulling the cap off. And then I'm like, wait, they don't have gloves on. And they, <laughs> they're they touching my skin. They didn't even clean it with alcohol. All of that protocol that you're used to, right? And then the needle goes into my vein. They don't have gloves on. And then, you know, the, the, the whole process was just completely unsanitary. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever. Just find out what's wrong with me, right? So then they run the, and then, and then I ha- oh, yeah, there's the other important part. I have my immunization, right? And so I have this thing in my wallet, and I pull it out, and I'm showing it to them, and I'm still just out of it, and they're pumping me full of fluids because I'm so dehydrated. And uh, they're looking at my immunizations, and they're drawing the blood. and Anyway, it took them like a full 24 hours to figure out what was wrong with me because they were going by the fact that I was immunized for a lot of stuff. So they didn't bother testing for that initially. Then they were like, you know what, we're going to go ahead and test them for everything. So it took a couple of blood tests for them to go to finally come to that res, you know resolution that, oh, we need to just test him for everything, even though he's been immunized. So it turns out I had typhoid times two. I didn't have just one strand. I had two different strands of typhoid. And it was just you know, usually the leading cause of death in a lot of those third world countries is typhoid because of dehydration is a miserable death because you are shitting and vomiting everything out of your body to the point where it feels like razor blades because it's acid, right? It's your own body that you're getting rid of now. You know, what, stomach acids, everything. And so once they figured out that, hey, even though you're immunized, you still got it. And the reason being is at the time there's 118 strands of typhoid. Well, immunization, the immunization for it that we all take here in this country only cover for half of them. Doesn't cover for all of them, right? So sounds like COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there is a little. There there probably (laughs) history will tell, right? That uh, immunizations aren't foolproof. That's for damn sure. And uh, anyway, I got it, and uh, anyway, survived it. And did they give you antibiotics for that? Yeah, yeah. it's just antibiotics, you know. And uh, within a week, I was back to normal, which is crazy considering it was something that I felt like at the time I felt like, Oh my God, I'm going to die and nobody knows what it is. Um, and I'm going to die in this fucked up shithole. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then that'll be that. And, but, uh, but yeah, ended up, uh, antibiotics and good to go. And then, uh, did you go back and finish or did I you... did? Yeah. Oh, there shit. was no going home. And that's one of the, uh, unique things about.
4: I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast
3: that kind of work is if you're on your own, you're on your own, you make your own decisions. Yeah. You know, I left with my, I would leave with a wad of cash and a mission and, uh, and off you go. And, you know, and you definitely don't want to go back and say, well, I got sick, you know, and you know, in our world (laughs) that doesn't fly. Nobody gives a shit if you're sick. It's, did you finish the job? Yes or no. Yeah. And, uh, I was never going to go back and say no i didn't finish the mission
2: well i was sick yeah i didn't ask you if you were sick i asked you if you finished it or not
3: i don't care that you were
2: sick yeah no i know it i I mean fuck it's like the one job i remember i got food poisoning that was similarly bad in vegas i ate fucking clam strips from a long john silvers (laughs) coming back from vegas and it was you know we drove through at like 958 right before they close and like a dipshit i order clam strips and they're like cold yeah and I ate them, you know, and by the time, you know, we get home, and and yeah, I was sick, I man, I lost like 16 fucking pounds, Glenn had to come, uh, I was living in uh, Numb Nuts' fucking guest house at the oh, time in the college yeah. area, and, and uh, yeah, I fucking, he had to come and give me IVs and shit, but it was like, e- even then, it was, it was like, what do you mean you're not here, I'm sick, I don't give a fuck if you're sick, you still gotta come to work and, and prove <laughs> that right. you're fucking sick, you know, it's That's like, right. you can't just not show up and be like, I'm sick, like, and it's like one of the few jobs where, that just nobody gives a fuck, you know, what's wrong with you,
3: but, uh, yeah. no, it's interesting. Um, it's ingrained, it becomes ingrained in you and it's once again, yeah. zero fail mission. So coming, you know, failure is, it has a broad definition, yeah. right? You're not doing the mission is a failure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, get wild. the job done. Then you come home. Yeah. That's it.
2: In that line of work, I can only assume that counter surveillance is as important as the surveillance itself you have to be able to, to understand if you are being surveilled and, and such. Were there ever moments where you caught people surveilling you while you're
3: doing some of this stuff? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, what and what did that look like? You know, what people, you know, a lot of these third world countries, it just, it can look like squatters. It could be the taxi drivers. Um, you literally have to assume it's everyone because the government will pay them far more than what they're making. Yeah, just to sit on that corner and squat, you know, and that's what they do. And uh, you're going to see the same people day in and day out, um, and and it's real easy to get paranoid. Go, oh, I saw that, oh, I saw that person again. Oh, I've seen that person again. But the countries that employ their citizens as surveillance becomes one of the biggest obstacles because it's like, well, everyone is a potential. Right. Yeah. The, the woman working at the front desk at the hotel, the the squatters outside, the taxi drivers, everyone I just mentioned. I mean, so it gets to the point where you just got to make sure you know what you're doing and you and as long as you assume everyone is seeing what you're doing, if you assume everyone is hearing what you're doing, and if you assume that everyone is tracking every move you make, then you'll probably come up with a great plan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> you just have to assume those three big things and then you'll have a great plan. Yeah. And that is, becomes a very creative and sometimes lengthy process. And, um, and creativity, I would say is probably your biggest weapon, you know, to, to be able to pull it off when you know, or you think everybody is watching, you know, from those, from those three ways. But, uh, and I, I wish I could coin, I wish I could say that's mine, but I was probably one of the first pieces of advice I, I got from a, another legend in the realm is that, you know, just if you assume you're being watched, if you assume you're being heard, and you assume you're being tracked, then the odds are you'll come up with the best plan ever. Yeah, yeah. that's fucking good advice, no doubt.
2: Yeah. Were there ever any close calls, host nation or, or government-wise, like where you almost got rolled up by uh by any, uh, anyone trying to do that
3: or or otherwise not directly no um because if i had i probably wouldn't be here yeah. to be honest with you and that's not to sound you know cool or corny but um it's just if they assume something then you get they that then immediately they're going to act on it because yeah. you just gave them something to then now leverage against you and put you in jail and oh. hold you forever, like we've seen happen in Iran and Iran. And, you know, I mean, a lot of different countries, hell, even Russia, right? China's done it. Everyone's done it to us, where you give them that little bit, man, and your ass will be in jail for years. Yeah. So, you know, your job is to give them absolutely nothing. But indirectly, oh, I was, I mean, you're talking the height of the Arab Spring. I was roaming this planet. And, uh, you know, indirectly I, you know, took a turn and found myself surrounded by a thousand angry people. And I was all by myself with an embassy badge and a pistol, a cell phone with, you know, zero charge and no minutes. (laughs) Thank you, U.S. Embassy, for handing me that when I showed up. But, so I had no 911 call to make. I... I had a badge that you know, if I would have showed it, probably would have definitely got me murdered, right? Because no one cares about the U. No one cared about if you were a U.S. embassy personnel at the time. Um, and a pistol that you know, if you've watched The Walking Dead, you know that's only going to get you so far (laughs) when you've got a thousand people to deal with. So I had my car, and I thought to myself, well, I could run over the first ten, and then I'm just going to high axle the vehicle and my wheels will just be spinning yeah. and uh, they'll be really pissed off. At and you're me. getting drug out and beat to death. That's right. And so awareness, uh, you know, we, you know, we talk about it, you hear about it all the time, but awareness is, you know, in its most granular way co- boils down to like really understanding human behavior. And I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but I learned a lot. Through those years of traveling and 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 everything kind of falling on me, you start to really pay attention to people, and their behavior. And in that angry crowd, stood one soldier slash law enforcement guy at the corner of my hood. And I remember looking at him; he was younger, and he had an AK forty seven slung. And uh, and I remember seeing sympathetic eyes. I was like, that guy cares about me. Even though my car was going back and forth, you know, the the passenger side tires off the ground, driver side tires, people right (laughs) here at the window yelling and screaming. But I saw those sympathetic eyes and I went ahead and gave him the international sign of love (laughs) and
2: rescue. For for those of you just listening, it's the (laughs) rubbing your fingertips together like it's money. uh, Money. Money.
3: Money, money, money. And that was one thing I did have a lot of yeah. besides a pistol, you know, an embassy badge in my vehicle. And a bad attitude. I had money. Yeah. And I was like, you want some money? And he's like, yeah. I mean, can you say
2: how much money you would usually roll out with?
3: Oh, geez. You know, it depends on, yeah. you know, who I'm, who I was working for at the time. But I mean, sometimes you're talking, you know, 20, 30, 50 grand, you know? Yeah. Sometimes, you know, heck, i there was time. There was one time when it was even more than that, right? Yeah. And it was a cash-only job. <laughs> um, but yeah, you got plenty of money. It's like, and so this this kid with his gun, I you know, I saw a yes in his eyes and a nod of his head, and I was like, come on over to the passenger door, right? And he he took that rifle off and uh, he put his back to the passenger door. He pointed at everybody to create a bubble. I quickly unlocked the door. He got in, and I reached across and was like locking the door. And uh, then I told him, "Okay, now point that gun out the windshield." And so, sure enough, he pointed that gun at the windshield, and uh, and had just enough space for me to get some speed going to make them scared to jump in front of it. And uh, that kid saved my life, no doubt about it. And then we got—I took a turn, went a couple of box, blocks, took another turn, went a couple of blocks. I remember getting there. And, uh, it was like right next to night, right near a gas station. I gave him his money, you know, and, uh, told him Shukran and, uh, and he, uh, he said, off one. Yeah. And Do you know, how? you remember how much you gave him for him? I mean, it was a probably equivalent to uh thousand, $2,000 easily yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in his currency. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a lifetime of money for that kid. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like He would probably was probably making a couple of bucks yeah. compared to what I just handed him. So that was enough to feed him, his family, for several months, no doubt about it. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the crazy part of what was going on then is here I was just a, a couple of blocks squared, and I could hear birds. You know, everyone was going about their business like it was a normal day. But at that moment, just... Two blocks squared away was fucking chaos and a life-threatening situation. It sounds like parts of Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) It can be fucking MacArthur Park versus fucking Venice Beach or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just you know it goes to show that it really just doesn't matter where where you are on this planet, man. Things can change on a dime, and you better be uh, be ready for it. And if you're not ready for it, you better get creative. Yeah, Uh, yeah. No shit. Uh,
2: Was there any, any operation that stands out as being like the shittiest, like conditions wise of just being like,
3: God damn it. Like what the fuck am I doing here? Whether it's. Yeah. Most of, most of, uh, most of the places I had to go to, (laughs) you know, I'd like, you know, like your mission, you're, you're mentioning like mission impossible, James Bond stuff and um, everything's
2: clean and fucking technologically advanced. It's the exact opposite. There there was,
3: there was no five star hotels or Aston Martins. None of that. I was always like, fuck. This fucking yeah. sucks. Yeah. It was always uh, shithole, safe sites, or, you know, mediocre at best hotels. If you want to call them a hotel or a motel, um, you know, the environments were always crap. The food was always crap. You know, you kind of start remembering those general rules, right? Like, you know... Um, you know, if you're 15 minutes or more away from a shoreline, then don't eat the seafood, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you really take that. Like, look at us. We're here in Dallas, yeah. and we can go out to a restaurant and safely eat seafood. Yeah. You know, and you take that for granted. Yeah. Over there, you're like, nope. I'm, <laughs> 15 minutes is still too far, yeah. right? If to, I can't see the fucking water, I'm not eating it. Yeah. yeah. I remember there was one place that I would kind of frequent. Um, it was called... Uh, um i had it's to let the comes to saba 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 did you just rattle off saba baba <laughs> so seven brothers seven seven brothers and it was this uh it was like really the only restaurant had a set a set menu and you knew that you were going to get fish and rice and that was it right and it was family style eating so imagine, like, uh, here, here's the white guy, here's the white guy walking in, and you know, if there was a record, it would have screeched, and everybody would have turned their head and looked at me, and I was like, eh, whatever. You sit down, and I, uh, I and of course, I, I had to figure out that there was no menu. <laughs> I'll take <laughs> the food, please. Showing up and sitting down was the menu, right? Because yeah. you were just getting whatever they put in front of you, yeah. and uh, it was foil wrapped up and it was on a paper plate and so I was like huh. so you, you unwrap the foil and you kind of stretch it out and there was a whole fish sitting in there and then there was rice and it was the best fucking fish and rice I have ever had oh shit um, and you would have never guessed and uh, and so I mean I once you kind of eat you learn too like it, it's this balance of you don't ever set a routine, but when you find a safe place you can eat and you didn't get sick, yeah. it's really difficult not to go back there, right? And so there was times and it's like, do not, you know, I tell myself, do not set a routine, do not set sort set a routine. That's how you get targeted, right? Just door dash it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Goes back to the rugged life. You know, Clint, why weren't you just fishing for your own fucking food? You yeah. know, but I didn't have time for that shit. So um yeah, you end up finding a good place to eat. You eat it, and uh, so point being as you ask like worst places. It always amazed me that even in the worst, worst condition, worst places on this planet, there was some. There was always like you could find like really good food, or you know these beautiful scenery or environments. Like you're just like holy yeah. shit. I remember like there was a beach where it was just this crazy ass black lava rock. And you're like, I can't believe this is here, yeah. right? With these with the incredible ocean and this blue water crushing down on it. And you're just sitting there staring at it like, how the hell did this get here? It's just a incredible sight. Or, you know, another breakfast joint that had the best fried eggs I've ever had. Or, uh, heck, you remember when we were in the... Um, Dubai with the beef? Dubai with the beef. Yeah. Or the Philippines with that steak place. Yeah. Remember going to the a, jungle? It was, a, it was
2: like a Spanish restaurant that served
3: steak. And it had the, the best fucking apple pie. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember we went there multiple nights, mid, middle of a jungle, and it yeah. had like, I think yeah. it was called like Planet Hollywood, but it was yeah, a knockoff or something, like right? Yeah, something like that. And then we would drive
2: in. They had, they had the best fucking sashimi, too, tuna sashimi. Yeah. It was fucking phenomenal.
3: Middle of a jungle, yeah. right? I mean, who would have thought? And so, yeah, it's uh, you know, I mean, The shitholes end up actually not looking all that bad if you just kind of open your eyes and look around. Yeah. Yeah. It
2: it reminds me a lot of, like, Anthony Bourdain's show back, you know, God rest his soul. Uh, (laughs) You know, he would go to all these fucking obscure places similarly and, you know, have, like, family dinners with people in their houses or you know eat at these little bazaars and markets. And that is kind of one of the neat common denominators of the human experience is, you know, everybody has to fucking eat. And, uh, you know, the different cultural influences. But, the, yeah, there's some phenomenal food everywhere that, you know, is totally different maybe from what anything you've ever eaten. But but the experience and the flavor and, and the taste and everything is, you know, some of the best things, you know, yeah. I, I've ever eaten have been all over the world. You know, right. it's really, really neat that way. But um, so from a, uh, I guess from a, a condition standpoint, similarly, were there, uh, missions where you actually had to had to swim in infiltration-wise, or was it always, th- th- I guess, that
3: you can talk about? <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say there was one that uh, I put together and included a swim, and uh, it was probably, I mean, definitely the coolest email I'd ever received. So here I am putting together this wazoo fucking crazy, never-before-done um Mission and uh, I kind of submit it up through you know my, the, the chain of command, which was my immediate CO overseas, and then it would go to at the time, you know, uh, the JSOC commander, which was McCraven, and uh, and so he replied to all, which was kind of unusual, and uh. All it said was two words. and It was the best email I've ever gotten from a Naval Special Warfare leader. Just said, good luck. <laughs> And I, I was like, wait a minute. And then I was waiting, right? I and mean, you waited a, a day or you wait a couple hours and you wait a day or so waiting for my immediate CEO to somehow counter that because that's what we're used to, right? Yeah. It's like the big bosses get to say yes to everything, but it's it's the middle management guys. Yeah. The that guy go, that's well, accountable for you is like, no, nah, I don't want you doing that yeah, shit. Yeah, let's wait a minute here because this <laughs> might look make me look like an idiot if it doesn't work out, yeah. you, know? Yeah. you know? So it was definitely... Um, Probably one of the coolest things that uh, cool the email in itself made it made it cool because yeah. uh, unfortunately I think what over the last couple of years McRaven's kind of gotten labeled a uh, a bit of a liberal
2: yeah you know that way so, I well I mean I he was hugely anti-Trump and then he took you know the dean position at uh, at UT Austin which you know isn't exactly a conservative bastion yeah here in the state of Texas and uh, and he's written some op eds that have been pretty. Unexpected, pol- politically influenced and unexpectedly so that way, which, you know, I mean, I have mixed feelings on it. I think guys in, in positions like that, from my perspective, yes, you're entitled to your opinions, free country. I just think from an optic standpoint, it makes more sense for guys that, you know, are career Uh, you know, military officers at high leadership positions that then get into politics, uh, or even, you know, whether whether it's not politics, just generally speaking, should stay a little more neutral that way, I think. You know, I I think it because the military is supposed to be apolitical, when guys that spent their entire lifetime now take a hard-line side, really either direction, I think that confuses the guys that, you know, that maybe— used to work for them and now are still in or, or whatever is it, it makes it harder to be apolitical as a as a military when guys aren't maintaining that outside and and they were big big figures when they were in you know yeah. whether it's Mattis fucking McCraven, McChrystal I mean any any of those guys right. you know I, I just think I, I you know it's, it's a tough I can see both sides and, and I can imagine you know putting myself in their shoes it would be hard to just kind of ride out to pasture and not go that route because at that point, I mean, if you're in your fifties and you're starting over career-wise, like what the fuck else is there if, if you've spent yeah. that amount of time doing something like that? But uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it's
3: probably not necessarily good for branding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in,
2: so there was a swim in included. That's that's what the ultimate. With that plan, yes, yeah. there was. But,
3: yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. I don't, you know,
2: One thing that, that uh, I know surprised me a little bit and, and maybe people listening is, uh, you know, you just mentioned you came up with this wazoo idea. <laughs> is that yeah. that's how a lot of, if not most, of your missions were derived were from, you know, things that you kind of thought up, right? A lot of them. Well,
3: it's not just me. I mean, like, I think one of those, when you get to, like, national-level commands or agencies, the liberty that operators and operatives alike have is, is pretty, pretty substantial. You know, they, you know, we have always said it in the SEAL teams that the enlisted truly run our our world, right? Right. Our organization is run by senior enlisted seasoned guys, and that definitely stands true um, at the national level stuff. And so to, they expect it, you know, um, and, and having that and giving guys that, that entrepreneurial, uh, kind of exposure, I think is why you have so many seals specifically that get out and kind of have these successful entrepreneurial careers. And, you know, we get all those folks that, come along and say, well, you're, you guys aren't exactly the quiet professionals or silent operators. And it's like, well, you know, during the time, yes, we or are. Where you, you needed You me. didn't know who I was for 20-plus years, right? <laughs> really? And and by the way, the paycheck I was getting coincides with you not knowing who the fuck I am. that professionalism, yeah. you know? And then once you end that career and you start something new – and you're not getting paid by the United States government anymore, and you're doing your own thing. And as long as you're not compromising the safety of your buddies with whether it's a book or, you know, this interview, then whatever, do whatever the fuck you want, right? Yeah. You know, and so the quiet professional thing, um, it's important when you're in. It's not really all that important when you get out because the reality is most of, the operations we conduct, it's not that they're, like, secret. The real secret of any operation is time on target. Yeah. Like, when. Yeah. When am I showing up is the most sensitive thing of, well, of any operation. Yeah. You can know my tactics. You can know my technology. (laughs) But as long as you don't know when I'm coming. Yeah. You can't be on guard 24-7. Right. Then you're not going to win. Yeah. And that's really, I think, you know, the key of when you talk about, you know, guys that get out, as long as they're not giving up, you know, all the, all the details and shit, then really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter as long as you don't know that time on target, but entrepreneurial piece is given to the seal community and it's worked for us. It's worked against us, but I would say the community doing that has given us an edge and has given us an advantage over the other components. Um, you know, 10 times, Yeah. you know, I think giving guys the liberty to come up with plans and, and these missions is, uh, the best thing you can do as a leader.
2: I think most people would assume that it's again, driven from what most people's experience with this community or, or these experiences consists of, which is Hollywood, which is, it's handed to you. Here is your next fucking gig. Right. You know, and that's largely not how it happens, but I, I do love that you know, the whole silent professional thing, that is a criticism that I think any of us who, you know, have books or podcasts or, or are out in the limelight, so to speak, is, that, yeah, it's like I, I was when I needed to be. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be anymore, you know. Um, and, and I agree. Like, I think there's a right and a wrong way to do it. And I think some guys do it the right way and some guys don't. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's... I think the 80-20 rule kind of applies that if most of the community is is okay with how you're conducting yourself, it's going to be 10% that motherfuck you no matter what. There's going to be 10% that don't give a shit what you do no matter how egregious it is. You know, that, that average 80% in the middle, if, if they're largely like, yeah, it's a good dude, you know, I'm all right with you know. then, then I think that's probably all right. Um, but uh, do, you, do you find now that um, because of all of the experiences that you've had, doing all that kind of stuff that, you know, countless years of training and operations and what have you, that, that your life now, day in, day out, little intricacies of day to day life are significantly affected in terms of what you pay attention to, how you live your
3: life. Like, is, is that something that never goes away? I'd say when I first retired, <clears throat> I'd say my, you have that hyper vigilance thing and your awareness is for me was pretty much through the roof. Um, but you know, what does this civilian life do to us? kind of brings everything down a couple of notches, you know, the further we are from, you know, those types of jobs, you know, it, 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 certainly your level of awareness and vigilance starts to kind of decrease a little bit here and there too. Yeah. I think it's only natural, you know? Um, but I have my moments, you know, like, you got to remind yourself, oh, wait a minute, you know, you're putting yourself out there. So if you're putting yourself out there, that means you got to kind of, you know, put forth a little more, uh, energy into, you know, looking out for whatever it is around the corner, yeah. you know, and making sure you're still staying s- safe and sound, no different from anybody who puts himself out in the public view. They should all be, you know, taken into that situational awareness, personal awareness, cultural awareness, third party awareness being the big one. Yeah. I, you know, I mean in terms, I guess going, going back one,
2: one thing I wanted to bring up on that being out in the public, which kind of coincides with what you're talking about is depending on how, how much you are or not, you know can dictate how uh, vigilant you need to be. But there's another component to that being out in the public aspect that, that I think is important is that if you think about the popular mechanics article, the, all of Dick Marcinko's books and the movie Navy Seals, those three things remove those three things from ever being out there and our generation i I think there'd be half the the amount of guys that ever even knew enough about the seal teams to actually go try
3: to be one yeah but unfortunately (laughs) we had a vice president biden at the time use uh well and obama i mean they use the bin laden raid uh politically
0: yeah
3: and so if we would have remained in the shadows, we yeah. we certainly would have come out of the closet even more so than. Yeah. Well, I think that's that definitely enhanced it, right? I mean, we I, had we had articles, we had some books, we had a movie, um, but I think uh, the Bin Laden raid certainly. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of factors there. I mean, but look at look what we did. I mean, going into Iraq, we allowed media to be on the battlefield with us. Yeah, I mean, I
2: mean fuck, know. we had a guy from Fox News on, on the ribs with us when we went yeah. to take down the go
3: yeah, And he know? became a very popular, what, Steve, what's his name again? Uh, it was John, uh, John Scott. Oh, Scott. Yeah, I thought Centenni or whatever his name Steve is. Steve Centani. Maybe it was. Yeah, no. it was Steve Centani yeah, on that Sintani, one. Yeah. He was on the rib, and now he's a pretty popular guy, at least yeah. was on Fox. I don't know. I think know. he got fucking kidnapped later. Is that, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. That was yeah. the other piece. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think know. yes, I agree with you. I think uh, none of that, you know, helped the community. But at the same time, I mean, it was uh, it was inevitable as soon as you uh, start putting journalists yeah in every aspect of the war. Yeah, I, I
2: guess I just mean from a from a recruiting standpoint, there is an element of oh, yeah. you've got to inspire each you know, consecutive generation to, and give guys who are cut out for that line of work a reason to go do it. Hell yeah. Know? And, yeah. or there's not going to be any of them, you know, right. and, and I know the popular mechanics article, the Dick Marcinko books, Rogue Warrior in particular, and the movie Navy Seals, those were three hugely impactful, uh, events that I saw, uh, or red, you know, was exposed to that that um, were a big part of, of me wanting to, to be a fucking team guy. Uh, the movie The Rock too, even though the seals get smoked by a bunch of Marines, but <laughs> that's,
3: a, that's but, but it had. Work. I mean, that's yeah. that was all of the first phase instructors for me. Yeah, we're all in the Rock. Yeah, you know that's that's Danny Chalker, who's a fucking legend in the Seal community. You had Joe Hawes, who is also equally a legend. Yeah. You had Steve Decker. I mean. You had, uh, those were, I mean, uh, to show up to Bud's and see these dudes, you're like, what the fuck? Especially, I mean, it was Master Chief Danny Chalker. Bud's Master Chief. Yeah, he he secured my hell week. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, my God, it's him. Yeah. He's also known as Snake in any of uh, Dick (laughs) Marchenko's books because of his eyes. I don't know if you ever had a chance to look into his eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were fucking snake eyes. Yeah, But, yeah, I mean, the media certainly is – Taken, taken that seal path and yeah, kind of yeah. bounced it into the limelight. So, you know, we 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 certainly haven't done anything that hadn't already been done, and it's going to continue on. Yeah, because it's uh, it's been sexy for quite some time now. I'm actually surprised it's lasted this long. And the seal brand, yeah, I thought it would die off, you know, and things would go back to normal, but it just continues and continues. You know, well, you're a cool guy,
2: Clint. You know, I mean, not I me. Mean, it's those. <laughs>
3: That's your fault. Don't be <laughs> yeah, so fucking cool. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a collective. Team guys being successful continues uh, continues the light to be sh- you know shined yeah. on the career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I mean, I could ask you fucking questions and
2: try to get you to reveal shit you're not supposed to all day long, but uh, I know we, we do have another show to, to conduct, and, uh, and the big reason why you're here is The Rugged Life. Again, go pick this fucking book up. Uh, you will not regret it. It's uh, chocked full of fucking legitimately really useful information, uh, and I appreciate you coming on to uh, to take the time to talk about it and some of the things that we haven't had a chance to discuss on here uh, previous.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Mike. Yeah, it's always good to hang out, buddy. Uh,
2: for those of you still listening, uh, Clint, myself, and my other co-host, Matt, are going to jump on the Uninfluenced show, and we're going to talk about cars and motorcycles and shit like that here in a minute. So, uh, I encourage you to check uh, that show out as well if you want to see Clint talk about some of the crazy driving that uh, that he's learned over the years via uh, Uncle Sam, and uh, and we'll get into some of the intricacies of that. But uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this. Clint's been a good friend of mine for over 20 years, which is hard to fucking believe. Yeah. Uh, you know, we kind of grew up in the SEAL teams together to a certain degree, and uh, you know he's he's one of my closest friends, and uh, I can't thank him enough for for coming here. I hope all of you guys go out and support his book as well as uh, all the places that you can find you uh, in terms of some of the other stuff that you offer if you want to run down that real quick.
3: Yeah, I'll keep it simple. You can just go to and That's the the ecosystem lives there.
2: All right. Uh, for those of you uh, who continue to support this show episode after episode, I can't thank you enough for your support. We damn sure appreciate you. And until next time, this is Mike Drop.